0: many of you about in private dialogue. In fact, I had an issue. Uh, uh, this actually happened this very weekend. So when I say this is, uh, uh, this is something that's happening with increased frequency, what I'm saying is that regularly I see this. Uh, it's a trend, if you will, that has developed in the lifeline of God's people uh, that I would later find out reflected a, a much bigger issue in the modern church. And by the modern church, I mean you know, the church in the 21st century. So I noticed that in dialogue with people, it was incredibly common, uh, normal. And I even see this with my children. Uh, we, we throw the name of God around and the name of Jesus around normally. I mean, it's like part of our common vernacular when we're dealing with matters of faith. But the name of the Holy Spirit hardly ever comes up, if, if he comes up at all. So I, I kind of want you to put your, your theological thinking caps on for this next month. And I want you to think about this as you dialogue with people in your life, Try try to create a space for this to see um, how many people actually reference the work and the power of the Holy Spirit like they do the name of God our Father and Jesus Christ. And so what what happened here is, this is kind of a big problem, because here you have somebody who is central uh, to the Christian faith. The communion table tells us that in Jesus' absence, His Holy Spirit is here to indwell us and help us become more like Jesus. Uh, Everywhere you look in Scripture, the role of the Holy Spirit is central especially in a talk like what we're talking about today, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, one of the ways, the primary authority that we work out our salvation under is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so we should rightly sense that there's a bit of a, of a big problem here. Because if you want a, a succinct statement about what I'm trying to say today, is according to Jesus, nothing in the New Testament happens apart from the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Um, yet for a great many people, they have no place for him in their life. And I don't even mean that in a malevolent way. I just mean like they might not know or might not understand or have never been challenged in their faith enough to recognize the role of the Holy Spirit. And so this issue, uh, the more I have looked at it, the more I have seen that it's, this is not a localized issue. Uh, the truth is that this is kind of a broad spread issue. And I've said this before when it comes to matters of, this is what we call pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't think we should naively just abandon the fact that at times we cite in North America kind of a spiritual numbness. Okay? So I'm not saying all of the North American churches like this, but I think when you look at other parts of the world, it does seem that there's there's a greater vibrancy at times of the work of God. And so I I want to say here that while I can't concretely say this is true. I think it very much is worth analyzing whether or not it is true. And I would throw my head into the fact that it is it makes you wonder If one of the reasons we see and sense at times kind of an apathy in North American Christianity or numbness to it or uh, an increasing uh, desire for what we call marginal or nominal Christianity. If part of this is because at times there is a benevolent neglect and maybe flat out denial of the work and the role of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. Which according to Jesus is central to who we are in him who we become in him, the work of the gospel in our church and every church, and certainly the way we bring the gospel to our neighbors and nations. And so today we're continuing to study this verse where Paul tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling in Philippians. And the, the logic behind this is the same. I'll repeat it. We're looking at this continuous statement in Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and then we are bouncing into other teachings in the New Testament that actually give us clarity and detail into what that actually looks like. Okay? So today we shift gears to a different part of the Gospel of John. We looked at for the past couple of weeks this idea of Jesus being the vine and we being his branch and the role of pruning, the fact that God, for lack of a better term, gives and takes away uh, in our lives. And all of this is designed to help bring health in our lives and growth in in Jesus. And today we we look at a different section of the Gospel of John. We're going to rewind a little bit to John 14. This is a place where we also get another insight into how he... And we work out the gift of our salvation once Jesus gives it to us. So, consequently, over these next two weeks, we're going to revisit some teachings that examine who the Holy Spirit is. I was even thinking about this in the life of our church. I've been teaching almost 20 years in my pastorate, but just a little over six years now at Restoration. And I think we have like four times, maybe five, in the whole series and all the teaching we've done at Restoration where we've actually addressed. Uh, this subject. That's not to say it's not come up at times in other talks, but I'm saying pointedly like this. So I, I had to ask myself whether or not we were perpetuating some of the concerns I mentioned earlier by not visiting the importance of the Holy Spirit enough. And so for these next two weeks, leading right into Thanksgiving, where all of you will fall asleep from excessive amounts of tryptophan in your living rooms with your family eating all that turkey, I'm going to try to waken you up with the life of the Spirit before we fall asleep and move into the the zone of just craziness in the holiday season. Okay? So today. I want to just dogmatically say this. If you want to know how to work out your salvation, which is the goal of what we're talking about, you actually cannot do that uh, if you don't have an understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. Because the Holy Spirit is central to the way you actually accomplish that. Okay? So why? This leads me to the first truth I'd like to share with you. We'll unpack two this morning. And the first is this. Uh, we have to be careful okay, uh, that we don't embrace this attitude, numbness to the Spirit. But the important thing to know about this is that If you are in Jesus, you don't actually have to worry about that because the reality is Jesus has already given you his Holy Spirit to help you work out the gift of your salvation. So the point I want to make here is that the Spirit is already in you. His Spirit's already in you. You have to suppress the Spirit for him to not work, okay? It's not like you have to do something to earn the Spirit. You get him when Jesus comes into your life. So you're you're already functioning from a position of strength. The Holy Spirit is in you. I want to challenge you this morning to see if your, your spiritual receptacles are open to his work. And John tells us this in John 14, 15 through 16. Think about this. Working out your salvation with fear and trembling, speaking to his disciples, the first, like the inaugural people who set up the kingdom on earth for Jesus. He says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. So here we are talking about life change, growing in Christ, and we see here that we're given a helper. And in the Bible... Uh, there are uh, many descriptions, several actually, used to describe the Holy Spirit. But this concept of advocate, which is one that we've talked about before, is, I think, the most important. Out of, out of this word advocate comes all of the other elements of who the Holy Spirit is and how he works in our life. And this is, this is linked, this word advocate, uh, to, to a Greek word. I don't do this a lot, but sometimes it's important that we recognize we're reading an English translation of what is here uh, a, a first century Greek writing. And there is a particular word here that is used to explain the concept we're talking about here. It's the word paraclete. Any of you ever heard of the word paraclete before? If you've been here, you've probably heard of it. Okay, so it looks like about half of you understand, or at least have a general understanding of this, which is good. So this is a rich word, and much like most Greek words, they're often uh, a a couple of words that are combined together that make a new word, okay? So the words here that make up the idea of, of this advocate idea is the word parakaleo. And you think about it, it means two things. The, the word para means to come alongside. So think about this, a paramedic, right? Um, this is a person who comes alongside you when you have a medical issue. You can even see the, the perpetuation of these words in our modern English. The word para means to come alongside, and the word kaleo means to call out and speak the truth. And so here, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, there are, there's one primary kind of role that he has, And Jesus' literal promise to us here is that after his death and resurrection, remember, this is before his his death. Obviously, we'll celebrate that here today. Uh, And until his return in the Gospel of John, what he's saying is, before I go, I need you to know that I'm going to give you a helper who's going to call you back to my truth in my absence. That's what he says, if you want the the paraphrased version here. And then after he leaves, uh, after the day of Pentecost, he sends his Holy Spirit to us to help us grow in him, to change. And he does this by uh, coming alongside our lives, guiding our steps, and continually speaking the truth of Jesus to our heart when we forget them. And let's just be honest, there are times when we want to disobey them. I don't know about you, but there are just days when I look at my faith, and there are just days that it's hard, and you start questioning whether or not this is even the thing you should be doing. It is in those moments, remember, it's not bad to have those thoughts. The winter we talked about, it's okay to have those thoughts, but you have to know that when you have them, you don't have them apart from, from your, you don't have them alone or in isolation. It's th- Those checks and balances in your mind and in your heart are the evidence of the parakaleo, of, the, of the, the helper coming alongside of you checking that stuff. And so one of the challenges, just right out of the gate, that we have with this word, with this understanding of the Holy Spirit in our English world, is that we, we don't really have like a perfect or equivalent translation for this. So you can't simply just use one word. Sometimes you have to look at a quorum of them. There are really not multiple meanings, but you might say multiple facets to the way that the Holy Spirit works. And so... If you have a Bible with you, whether that is in print or or on your iPhone or whatever you have, tablet, or you're reading behind us, it is possible that you are reading along, and this is the NIV, what we study here, but you might be looking at a translation that uses a different word. Where we are using the word advocate, it might say something like comforter or encourager or helper, because those ideas all communicate a similar thing, but, but you can see there are different kind of ways that people have translated this word. And so I want you to think of this like this. The word paraclete, the word for describing the Holy Spirit here, the advocate, is sort of like a prism. And I use the prism analogy a lot, especially when, it, when we talk about how we share the gospel. Uh, it's, it's one word. And in this case, the Holy Spirit is, is one person. Uh, this one word describes, much like a prism, the, the different facets of the way the Holy Spirit works. Turn the prism, and at one point, he's, he's convicting you of sin. Turn the prism, at another point, he's, he's encouraging you, reminding of you, uh, you of your identity in Jesus. Uh, turn the whole prism again, and he's your helper, your encourager. That's how the Holy Spirit works. <clears throat> one person with multiple uh, roles in your life. Now, if you want to understand who the Holy Spirit is in your life then you have to answer some questions about what the word advocate means. And this is really the word we're going to look at this morning. When, you, when we talk about, like, for example, a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned Galatians, right? The fruit of the Spirit. And we say we're supposed to be you know, gentle and, and patient. Uh, we say things like we're supposed to be self-controlled. Uh, when we say these things, we have a person who is regularly advocating in our life to help us become those things when we are not. And so it's super important to understand why Jesus calls the Holy Spirit our advocate, because you will never tap into or have the, the power of the Holy Spirit awakened in your life if you don't understand what he does. And so an advocate, simply put, is a person who is powerless. They take a person who's powerless and they become a power for them. Uh, this is what the Holy Spirit does for us. Like, uh, this is a person who becomes a voice for somebody who has none. And this word, much like some of the heavy-hitting words in the New Testament that, that begin to define how Jesus works in our lives, this language in the New Testament is steeped in, in legal, or what we would even say courtroom te- te- uh, terminology. Jesus often uses legal language like this when he explains how God works in our lives. For example, such as being pardoned of our sins, right? or being uh, legally justified before God. The idea is that we were kind of guilty of something, and God, because of Jesus, <coughs> advocated for us in such a way that he took that away. He, he owned the burden of our guilt. So the word advocate has, has the same legal meaning in Jesus' day as it does as in ours, and it really is describing a person who comes alongside a person uh, to speak in his or her defense, to provide counsel and guidance. Think of a modern-day lawyer, okay? The term is is totally judicial, and it's from that setting that we need to get a better understanding of why God has given us the Holy Spirit to work out our salvation. There are lots of uh, very clear and accurate understandings of the work of the Holy Spirit in our modern church world, and at times there are some unclear and and very inaccurate understandings of the way that the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And so I want to, at the very least today, give you the foundation to begin to discern some of those things, the, the legitimate or maybe illegitimate work of the Spirit. And so perhaps the best example is what I just mentioned, this idea of an advocate. Um, You you really do have a modern day parallel with what a lawyer does. And so on one hand, think about this, a good lawyer, he speaks to the judge and jury, or he or she speaks to the judge and jury in your defense. In essence, um, when that person speaks, they literally speak for you. What they say and do is received by the court as what you say and do. So a lawyer directs you, listens to you, speaks on your behalf, is for you at all times and to a very real degree, they, they, they become a power, if you will, or they take your place in a system where you are kind of powerless. If you've ever seen you know, law books, there are a lot of them, and they're very thick, fat, and heavy, right? So that person embraces a knowledge and an understanding of that discipline that then works for your advocacy. The legal advocate does for you what you cannot do for yourself. And so with that in mind, I want to move to our second question. What is an advocate? Frankly, an advocate is a person that gives you a power and an authority that you don't have on your own. And so perhaps uh, this, this is a, a foundational understanding of advocate. But there's an interesting nuance that Jesus applies to this word in the Gospel of John. Uh, he refers to the Holy Spirit not just as an advocate, but as another advocate. Okay, So this raises another question. If the Holy Spirit is another advocate for us, then it means we actually have two advocates in life. It's kind of like... That's just great. Like one amazing power and presence of God through the Holy Spirit is awesome. But in this passage alone, Jesus says, uh, actually you, you have an advocate even before I gave you an advocate. Uh, and the second question I want to address is, who is this other advocate? Who, who's the first advocate that Jesus talks about? And the context here makes this pretty clear. Um, Jesus is basically talking about himself. So think about it. God is slowly but surely revealing the Trinity. He's revealing himself to the world. And Jesus says... Uh, I am going to give you another advocate. His son, okay, is the first paraclete given to the world to come alongside his people and speak the truth of God to the world. And this is important to know because the Holy Spirit does not function in a vacuum. He is not, it's not like God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who's like the dude with the black leather jacket and the slick back hair, constantly causing rabble-rousing problems in the world. He's not this individual entity on his own terms, doing his own thing. He is as much a part of the Godhead as the other two are. And so here, it's important to know that the other advocate, the second advocate, is actually perpetuating the work of the first advocate. Jesus is our literal and clear first advocate. Because think think about this. In the courtroom of God's justice, before we even get to the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, we need this, right? We don't get the Holy Spirit before this. What happens is Jesus comes to earth and lets us know that if we want to be different, if we want to change, then we have to recognize who he is. He is our first spiritual advocate. And this is a real grace because Scripture teaches us God's righteousness demands justice. It demands that that a penance be paid for sin, big and small, from little white lies to genocide. Everything in between those things, our mistakes and failures against God and each other, they demanded a conviction. Think about the legal language you're talking about here. They had to be addressed. Yet the gospel teaches us God, in his grace, sentences himself on our behalf. He sends his son, our first advocate, to plead our innocence, and die in our stead on the cross. And if you need further evidence of why this is so important, I just want to share with you a verse from 1 John, not the Gospel of John, but 1 John 2, 1, where we read this. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. This is a letter of hope and encouragement about the way God's working. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, and the idea here is that we all do, even after knowing Jesus, we still sin, We learn here that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. So the first advocate is Jesus. And here's why knowing knowing this advocacy stuff, knowing the roles, the nature of who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, and what they do in your life, it's important. It's especially important if we want to get a better understanding of what it means to work out our salvation, what it means to take the gift that God has given us of grace and to shepherd it in such a way that we we grow into it, we don 't neglect it, simply put, we will never fully understand how to become like Jesus if we don 't understand the nature of the first and second advocate you can 't become like Jesus if you don 't know who Jesus is, you know understanding his grace, but also knowing what he expects of your life and how he gives you the the ability to to fulfill those expectations and the power of his holy Spirit. The nature and the work of the first advocate Jesus are distinctly connected to the nature and the work of the second advocate, the other advocate, the Holy Spirit. And it is through those two people that God brings about change in our lives. And so we learn very explicitly the work and the power of the Holy Spirit is tied directly to the work and the power of Jesus. And all the promises we've talked about thus far, in particular the big one in Philippians, joy, when we say, hey, God wants you and I to be joyful, the way we we experience genuine Christ-centered joy is not by fabricating it on our own. It's why we can have days in our lives where we're really not joyful. The, the true reason we can have joy when circumstances are difficult is because we have an otherworldly power who puts joy in us. So you're not creating joy in your life. You're essentially surfing the wave of joy the Holy Spirit has put in your life. One is a fleeting joy, the one we fabricate. The other is unassailable because it's directed and connected to the throne of God. This is true with all the promises, including changing you want to be more like Jesus. Yes, there are things you have to do. We've talked about some of that. But the ultimate power for that is not in what you do. Simon just mentioned this a moment ago, our, our worship leader. We, we do not, we, we use a term here called bootstrap theology. You cannot in the kingdom of God pick yourself up by your own boots, if, if your own spiritual boots. If we could, then God would have said, you go to the cross and die for yourself. The idea of Christianity says, some of the things God asks us to do, because they are of God, are going to be hard for us to do. So therefore, he gives us these advocates to get it done. So according to Jesus, the work and the the continuation of the work that he began and started on earth is now continued in our lifetime by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the particular work we've been talking about is how God makes you something that you are not yet. How God makes you hopeful or joyful when you are without it. How how God makes you self-controlled and respectful if you are without it. Whatever your fruit list is, if you read Galatians, there are guaranteed to be things that we are not yet in some areas that we might be in Jesus, but have room to grow in. We probably never arrive at being self-controlled. We never arrive at being patient. All right, We can be patient people, but even patient people can have their limits tested. This is why we need the advocates. So contrary to how some believe, the Holy Spirit is not uh, an ambiguous entity uh, doing random things. He's a clear person, directly responsible for us coming to Jesus and changing us into the image of Jesus. And that's why we should be alarmed. If this morning you are saying, man, I talk a lot about God and Jesus, but I don't ever really think about the Holy Spirit, there should be a bit of an alarm bell in your life. Uh, And I'm saying this for me too. If ever we forget that or don't even have a place for him right now, we have to kind of be concerned there. Because the truth is, as Jesus says, for you to become like him, you need to know who the Holy Spirit is and experience him. The Holy Spirit is present in our lives. In fact, this teaching shows us that the Holy Spirit's most significant responsibility is really to honor God and to bring glory to God by pointing people to the person and presence of Jesus. And so once we know this, uh, once we know that the Holy Spirit is given to us, already in us, then we know that we have to figure out, it's, it's kind of like you already have the relationship, you have to figure out how to how to bring health to it, that's the posture I want you to start this first idea under. Because once we know this, we are naturally going to be led uh, to the second change truth I want to share with you today. And much like the things we talk about, these are what I would call sequential truths. If you don't get the first one, you will not get the second one. Here's the second one. Let me explain what I mean. Uh, Once we know the Holy Spirit is our advocate and Jesus has given him to us, if you want to work out your salvation, which again we should, you must let the Holy Spirit continually remind you of Jesus' truth. Listen, you don't, you don't want to get into the deeper understanding of Jesus' truth unless you recognize the role of the Spirit. It's kind of contradictory. It can't happen. Because the truth is we can't fully understand Jesus' truth without the authority of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus tells us this in one short verse after he promises us the Holy Spirit. John fourteen fifteen to 17 He says, If you love me, the idea is that those who do love him should keep his commands, right? They keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. How are you saying, like, well, how do you know that the Paraclete is here to give you Jesus' truth? Because Jesus just said it, and he says it in other places. He says, I'm going to think about the vine and the branch analogy. I'm going to talk to God, the gardener. I am the I'm vine, I'm going to distribute life, and you're my branches. And as I talk to my Father in heaven, he's going, to, he's going to send life through the vine. When I leave here, the branches will receive the power of the Spirit, the Spirit of truth. And so this verse pointedly teaches us that the Holy Spirit, if you want to know the, some of the practical workings of the Spirit, we, you know, the, the, we always want to focus on the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit is in you, what your life should look like. But I'm telling you, you don't get to the fruit. You don't get to the reminding of truth unless you understand the way the, the Spirit brings about truth in your life. And so this verse pointedly teaches us that the Holy Spirit was given to us to continually point us to Jesus' truth in two ways, uh, two very common ways. Uh, In fact, I would say all of the working of the Holy Spirit can function under these two poles that we're about to talk about. The first is he points the unbeliever, those who have yet to embrace Jesus' truth, to believers. So he works in the world of unbelief. How do I know that? Because every one of you in this room, even myself, at some point was an unbeliever. You did not pop out the womb with a King James Bible in your hand and, and, a, and a Eucharist and the sacraments taking communion. It didn't work that way in your world, right? You grew up, and at some point, you went from unbelief to belief. You went from saying, uh, it, maybe it was hostile. Like in my case, you, you guys know, most, most of you know my story. I really didn't have any inclination towards religion. I had a kind of a, a, a quasi religious upbringing, but I went from like against it. To, uh, to for it. Some of you have that story. Some of you just came to this place in your life where you recognize, you know what, I've never really trusted or looked to Jesus like this. You went from a point of unbelief to real belief. And the case in point of this is this. Let's jump off of your life for a moment. Think about your life right now. Have you ever wondered why there are people in your life, for some of you, many people in your life, who, who don't know Jesus, who need to hear about Jesus. Maybe they know something about Jesus or like his name is like literally the best curse word in the world. Uh, you know, so that's a lot of the people that I know, like a lot of my, my family, when they refer to Jesus, it's not in the, the Our Father, uh, you know, Lord's Prayer way. It's more in the like uh, in the in vain kind of way. Right. We hear his name a lot, but it's very likely that many of you have people in your life very far from God. And I want you to know why that is the case. Because the Holy Spirit is is leading them to you. (laughs) That's not random. God tells us, if you look at his analogies in Scripture, that he places us in places where his gospel is needed. And so in your life right now, there is a need for you. Let me just say it that way. I don't want to be narcissistic about this. Um, There is a need for you, not in the Facebook, Twitter kind of way, because most of us don't need that at all. But I'm talking about in the real way, that there's a presence in your life. uh, God has put a presence in your life that is needed amongst a group of peers. And so it makes sense that, uh, that when we talk about the Spirit working in the world, again, he doesn't do this abstractly. He does this concretely through us. He is constantly um, providing opportunities in our lives for people to hear about Jesus. At least that's his intention. So the question then becomes, if you recognize that, that in our world there is unbelief and God is working in your life through the power of his Spirit the, uh, to help other people embrace and understand Jesus, the question becomes, are you willing to follow his leading? Are you sensitive to that? and in very tactful and rich ways, taking advantage of those opportunities when God presents them. I'm not talking about being a religious bully here, but I'm saying when God opens doors and provides places for you to serve him, are you, are you are you taking advantage of those opportunities? And maybe some of you are not, and I want to touch on this, and we're actually going to get a little bit, we're going to get more deeper into this concept next week, but I want to introduce it today. On a very critical side note, if you have no people in your life right now that are far from God, um, then we might have identified a real deficiency in how you are stewarding the gift of your salvation uh, that Jesus gave you. Because one of the ways that a follower of God or a disciple of Jesus works out their salvation is by helping others to know Jesus. At some point, those who are redeemed, one of the evidences of one working out their salvation is that they actually want others to know Jesus. In other words, you realize like the gift of, the gift of grace is pretty amazing, and, and I want other people to experience Jesus' gift of grace. So it's it's super important to know that the way the main way that Jesus sp- uh, that uh, excuse me the, the main way Jesus spreads his truth about in the world is through the power of his Holy Spirit right now, but the way the the Holy Spirit has chosen to work is through our lives. He's constantly drawing attention to Jesus, who is the truth, through through the platform of your life. Why don't you think about that? It's pretty amazing. He's working in your life. When we say that the Holy Spirit wants the world to know truth, what he's saying is is and your life is going to be the vessel for that the delivery system for it. That's why he works tirelessly in the hearts of those who doubt, uh, those who doubt, uh, to help them doubt their doubts and believe, ultimately through your words and your deeds. So remember, as we talk about the Holy Spirit's role in life, in life change, um, this is true of most of the great promises of the gospel, okay? As we talk about the way the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life for change, you have to know that a salvation or a gospel promise is for you, but never just for you. It is for you and for everybody else. Yes, the Holy Spirit wants to make you more like Jesus, but he doesn't only want to make you more like Jesus. He has the same ambition for the people in your life too. He wants you to be integral in the process of helping people that love Jesus become more like Jesus. In other words, he wants you to invest sacrificially into the lives of God's people to help them know Jesus more deeply. And he also wants you to invest sacrificially in the lives of those who are very far from God and don't care about Jesus at all. And if you think about this, if you, if you want to know why I'm saying this stuff so confidently, it's because our lives probably serve as the best example of this reality. If you've already come to Christ, in hindsight, you have a unique ability to think about how the Holy Spirit has worked in your life, the ways that we are talking about today. Or maybe you're here thinking about who Jesus is in your life. No matter where you are, I want you to think about this for a moment. If you're in Jesus, it is very likely that believing in Jesus was probably not on your life goal list. I never had a counselor in high school, a guidance counselor in high school, say, when are you going to embrace the Christian thing? That never actually happened to me. Maybe it did in your world, but it did not in mine. This was not a priority the world was speaking into my life, nor was it a priority in my own life. The idea of pursuing Christ was not a thing I thought I needed to do. I was largely you know, blind to it for a, a majority of my life. I've yet to meet the person who, in their life calendar you know, kind of pins the day that they're going to become a Christian or the day that they're going to, you know, you know they, they say, you know what? It is now um, it's not November 2016. In November 2017, I am going to be a more generous uh, person. I'm going to be more sacrificial with my time, my gifts and my treasures. Most people in the world are not setting these types of goals for themselves. Um, they're not saying things like, you know what? Um, I was thinking next year. I want to be more concerned about God purpose, God's purposes in the world uh, th- than my own. That is an unnatural, okay, literally an unnatural thought because it takes a supernatural presence to make that natural thought a reality in your life. You don't think about the things of Jesus without Jesus. You might think about the forms, like we say this a lot, the form of godliness. You might say, you know, Jesus cares for poor people. That's great. And it is great. And we should care for those that are oppressed. But you'll never embrace the root reasons why Jesus cares for those who are hurt and suffering Like Jesus did, unless you know Jesus. There is a difference between just doing the things Jesus does and actually doing them because of the reasons that Jesus does them. And so while the people that I talk to and myself are included in this, all have different details and how they came to Jesus. Every one of us has a different, you know, tributary that led us to the river of faith. The overarching story is all the same. To varying degrees, Jesus was not a priority in our life, but over time through some unexplainable, maybe at the time, unexplainable reasons, we were drawn to Jesus and, and compelled at some point to embrace Jesus, uh, to, to experience the grace of Jesus. And for some of us, even that decision was pretty confused. I'll never forget the group of people. There were three of them that spent a couple of years of my life trying to help me find Christ. And the night, it was at a street corner in Daytona. I will never forget this. This was the first time I lived here before I moved to New Orleans. Um, the night that I believed in Jesus... They were shocked. They were like, so you, you believe? You, do you think this is like true? And I said, and, and, and two of them started crying. It was like I had just uh, won some elected office and accomplished a really life goal, a big life goal. And, and I remember saying like, I think I believe this. I do. But you have to understand, I still have a lot of questions. And they were ecstatic about that. But like my origin, my, my point of belief was still steeped in a bunch of stuff I didn't understand. But at that point, I kind of knew enough to know what we're talking about today. There was a draw in my life. That led my heart to a place that it had no desire to go to before. And so here Jesus gives us an explanation of why this happens. Of why people certain, suddenly just embrace, sometimes after years of wrestling with truth, they embrace Jesus' truth. Your interest in Jesus, your belief, your ability to become more like Jesus is an evidence that the Holy Spirit is in your life. Is an evidence that Jesus' promise for the Spirit of truth to work in you is real. And this is a great hope for those in your life who maybe you have no hope for. What I'm saying is you can't not have hope for people uh, because that's just not right. Ultimately, they make their own decisions, but you have to have hope in a way that God has hope. So when the Holy Spirit begins to work in a person's life like this, it truly is an evidence of God making good in his promise. Uh, in fact, they were there uh, to work out his salvation in your life. In fact, you probably have people in your life right now that don't know Jesus, who through the work of the Spirit might even be having conversations about faith and life with you. Uh, And it might even be in very trivial ways. But nonetheless, if your ears are open to that, you you might start sensing the work of the Spirit in ways you thought were not working at all. Uh, In the truest sense, God is pointing them to Jesus through you. So follow the steps of the Holy Spirit. And this is something I'm going to touch on in December. But I think a great example of this, if you can hear the voice of people, if you can hear the voice of the heart, you can discern the way the Spirit works. Just look at this presidential election we've just had, okay? There's a lot 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 of craziness going on in our country right now. And you want to know the root of it? Yeah, it's about who you thought should have won and lost and half the country thinks one way and half the country thinks the other way. But at the end of the day, this is not simply a matter about who is in a presidential office right now and who's going to be in January. It's a matter of where your ultimate hope is placed. And so what 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 people I'm not arguing for or against candidate right now, I'm just going to say this. But um, what people are screaming about in our country today is is who they think will bring hope to the world and who they think would have brought hope to the world. At the end of the day, this is, not, this is much more than just an election. It's actually deeply connected to the fact of what the human heart needs. And that is hope and joy and stability. And so think about that. Move away. If you're, if you're in your world, you're seeing hostility here. Move away from what culture says they need and see the rhythm of the Holy Spirit. See that this is a battle cry of the human heart. And what I'm saying here is that in some of those situations, people that think there is no hope or maybe have a false hope right now, it's pretty important to know that Man, nobody but Jesus has promised to be your hope in a way that will never fail you. That is a gospel opportunity. It is a place for you to see the work of the Holy Spirit and to labor in a way that honors him. So no matter where people are coming from, especially in belief, the Holy Spirit points people to truth in the unbeliever's life. I would also say, according to this, uh, the second way the Spirit works is for the believer. The Holy Spirit is why you remain in Jesus. And if you were with us three weeks ago, this is an important statement, Uh, super important to know, because we said a few weeks ago, one of the main ways we change in life is by remaining in Jesus. That's what Jesus said. Want to be like me? Remain in me. And here we learn the way we remain in Jesus is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The spiritual glue, okay, that has cemented your life to God through Jesus is not even your decision to follow Jesus. It's the the role the Holy Spirit now plays in your life. He is your true north in salvation. He is the rudder that helps you to understand what, what straightness is when it comes to following Christ. He prompts your heart, directs your steps, intercedes and advocates for your life before the father when you do not have the strength or desire to do so he constantly reminds us of our significance in god's eyes and while we undoubtedly play a significant role in working out our salvation through things like the spiritual disciplines of bible study prayer and serving other for the sake of the mission in our church and outside of these walls in our city these disciplines when they are disconnected from the power of the holy spirit they are powerless they are just forms of godliness they're things we do like jesus But not necessarily for the reasons Jesus does them. And so this is why it's so important for us to get this. Missing this change truth will have you. Think about this. If you don't realize the reason you remain in Jesus, then your root of stability is, if it's not the Holy Spirit, it's you. That's what happens. And here's how you can know how you understand what the spiritual glue in your life is that keeps you connected to to God. If on the days you mess up and fail God, um, you are going to beat yourself up beyond compare. You are going to essentially take the yoke of guilt and shame. You're going to throw that back on your neck. And it's going to beat. you're going to beat yourself to death, spiritual death. The days you fall apart, uh, I'm not saying we should not grieve or lament when we sin. I'm, believe me, I'm not, I'm not saying we should uh, not recognize the importance of a contrite heart. But what I'm saying is, is if you beat yourself up on the days when you fail God, which are going to happen a lot, it's likely because you've stopped understanding the way that he works in your life. You no longer at that point recognize what grace is. And I'll also say, on the days when you kill it for God, and we all have those too, you know, where you're like, super Christian, and you're walking around town, and you're like, you know, I really had no money this month, and I tithed it all, and I was sacrificial and generous, and this person treated me poorly, and I love them, super Christian, that kind of thing. You're like, I'm amazing and awesome. And then all of a sudden, your life gets T-boned by a challenge. What's going to happen is, on the days you are awesome for God, and we have those days too, you're going to pat yourself on your back, and you're going to say, I'm following God well, because, well, because I'm great let's be honest, every one of us in this room thinks we're great, right? Here's the problem here. This goes to show you how you understand the work of the Spirit. You're great because of the Spirit, and you are graced because of the Spirit. That's not even in my notes, so I guess take that from a direct word from God. That sounds like a book. Great and Graced by Pastor Anthony. This is important, okay? Don't pat yourself on the back when you do well. Be encouraged, but don't fail yourself when you do poorly. You see, here's the point I'm making. Here's how we'll wrap up. What you believe about the Holy Spirit has a direct impact on how you work out your salvation. How you understand the role of advocacy in your life dictates how you work it out. And unfortunately, out of all the members of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit is often most misunderstood and neglected uh, because of the way he tends to be viewed in our modern religious spiritualist culture. On the religious side of things, if you're still reading that King James, we call him a ghost. You know, in modern culture, ghosts like jump out of closets and scare kids. We got a bit of a misunderstanding there. It's a good translation, but it, it really is not an ac- It really creates more confusion that word than it does accuracy. And on the on the cultural side, a oh, man when you talk about the word spirit in our modern world, um, uh, the wor- movies, television, and even spiritualist movements. I've said this a lot. Spiritualism is on the rise in America. Holy spiritualism is probably not. <laughs> Uh, things tend to seem a bit hokey, right? You're like, man, that's a little weird. I remember my, the fir- I've been overseas many times for mission. and The first time I was in Brazil, I actually observed a group of spiritualists. This was the name of their religion. And um, they were uh, twice a day, they would take these big white statues of their gods. They were like foam statues, and they would float them out into the ocean. And this was the way that they worshipped. And I remember thinking, that's spiritualism. But it seems a little hokey. And I was like, where are all the white statues coming from? There must be a guy like in Brazil making a million dollars on selling these white, these white statues. Spiritualism, but not necessarily Holy Spirit dualism. And even in the Christian world, and I've said this before, and it's, it's very unfortunate, but it's true. Uh, though, I, I won't say the majority, but I will say a great majority of people that I speak to, um, when they have questions about the Holy Spirit, they, they will say, yes, the Holy Spirit is real. But they won't use pronouns like he... Or, or refer to him as a person, what happens is they'll use words like it. Uh, and this is a small word, but it has a big meaning, uh, because they sort of think like the Holy Spirit is a, is a cosmic energy. And the best way to describe this is, uh, you know, Star Wars is kind of hot in our culture again, but it's almost like there's a parallel to this, this, the Holy Spirit is kind of like the force, uh, you know, if you remember, the Force in Star Wars is like this this cosmic energy that has the ability to change things and, and help you become something you're not. But nobody really knows the Force. It's kind of mystical. It's like there, but not really there. And, and it's amazing. Like, uh, it, it, there's this one scene in the old Star Wars where, you know... Uh, I don't know if you remember that scene, you know, these are not the droids you're looking for. Remember that scene in the first Star Wars? I see you guys shaking your head. I wish I could get up here and be like, uh, you're going to love Jesus more deeply, and that would happen. Or I could be like, you need to tithe your time and talents more often. It just happened. It doesn't work that way. We don't, we don't just do this and the energy works. There's a wrestling that goes on in our hearts. When, to become those things, we've got to sort out why we should be those things. And that's why the personal nature of the Holy Spirit is important. It's, you know, energy is great if you want to be a Jedi, but not if you want to be a Christian, right? Two different end games there. You only find peace and hope, like Jesus says, if you dwell in his, his personal spirit. So if you really want to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, you've got to avoid these misnomers by knowing the truth. that Holy, The Holy Spirit is Jesus' enduring presence in your life. He is literally Jesus' spirit and dwelling in you. And he alone leads you to peace, acceptance, love, stability, forgiveness, joy, justice and righteousness Uh, it's why he graciously warns your heart when you drift from him it's why he encourages you when you're in him it's why he recognizes in your heart the days where you might rely on your own wisdom and strength more than his those types of behaviors have left unchecked they lead us to idolatry and idolatry simply put here uh, idol worship in america is never before a big bronze statue of a god uh, with six heads it's it's always in a more sophisticated way in the west we are savvy with our idols we worship at the altar of our relationships. We worship at the altar of comfort. We worship at the altar of our own standards and ways. And when we live for our own spirit, you cannot live for Jesus' spirit. When you do that, what happens is you will change. I've said this a lot. When you live like that, you will change. It just will not be into the image of Jesus. And we already have a contradiction here. So that's why it's important to know in those times of weakness, the Holy Spirit proves his worth to us. He loves us enough to call us back to the faithful path of a disciple. He corrects our straying by speaking to us through the Word and at times directly through our hearts and at times through other people, men and women just like you, who love God and are there for somebody else in Jesus. There's a concern we have for God's people because God has a concern for His people. That's an evidence of the Spirit. It's in our times of weakness like that that the Holy Spirit truly becomes our advocate. He becomes our voice and strength at times in a a faith where we might have none. Our advocate reminds us of Jesus's truth and promises in life when we are not strong enough to remember them on our own. And he reminds us this is very important in a church like ours um, because the work in a church plan is like 10 times that of the average church. I'm not saying churches don't have work, but our work is more just because in about uh, 40 minutes, uh, people will be shoving all this stuff back into a supply closet. You know, for one hour and a half of worship here, it takes about four hours to get it going, okay? So I want you to hear this if you are on a service team at our church or laboring for God in your neighborhood. He also reminds us um, that the work we do for God often feels like it's done in vain. I'm just going to be very honest. It does sometimes. It feels like, like the why. What are we doing this? Why am I getting up early? Why am I sacrificing? Why, 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 why? Let me tell you. You know why? Because God is working. Even when we don't see it, know it, or feel it, God is working. And for some of us, that's the story of our lives. Some of us might have been asking whys about why they were loving us. But at some point, the why was answered. So no matter what you do for the kingdom, it does not return void. I read in Hebrews 6 last week. It just kind of popped up, um, Hebrews 6, 10. And I needed to hear that. This, God, God says in Hebrews, God is not forgetful. And we usually think about like, you know, grace in a passage like that. It's important. But what he says there is, I'm paraphrasing, God is not forgetful. He knows and remembers what you do for him. And one day, one day he, will, he will pay that reward accordingly. That's what Hebrews 6, 10 tells us. So you don't labor in vain. Even if you are laboring intensely, God is using your efforts. And he whispers things like that to us that we need to hear when we, when we need to hear the most. When we feel as if we don't matter. Or he reminds us there is a hope on a day when there is none. Or he tells us our, heart, our hearts, you know, listen, life's a little bit out of control right now. It's kind of like what it feels like in America. But the truth is that, He's in control. Seams might appear to come apart, but God is the ultimate seam. He He does not come apart. He reminds our souls of the truths Jesus spoke to His disciples in the first century world, and continues to do so in our lives today. And so, as we move to our response time, you've got to know if you want to work out your salvation. One of the ways you do once you take everything we've talked about, and I encourage you to listen to those talks on the web. But once you once you get all that in order. You have to know the ultimate way you fulfill that, the ultimate way you work out your salvation is by making it a point to live in and understand the presence of the Holy Spirit like that. So this morning, like we've talked about today, so this morning, ask God, how do you understand the role of his Holy Spirit in your life? You this the Star Wars thing, do you have no role for the Holy Spirit? Do you have some crazy, like your version of white statues floating out in the ocean? Whatever it is, I don't know. Maybe you have a robust understanding of the Spirit. Wherever you fall in that spectrum, I just pray you would grow in your love and understanding of the power of the Holy Spirit and the work he wants to do in your life. And as we move towards the communion table, ask yourself, what is Jesus saying to you about how he is working his salvation out in your life through his Holy Spirit? And just as importantly, what are you going to do about it when you leave this place? Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for the power of your spirit. Thank you for uh, what we're about to celebrate right now. We don't have the Holy Spirit without going through this communion table. Uh, truly, the, the recognition of your death and your resurrection uh, is why we have the Holy Spirit. So my prayer right now is that as we, as we think about communion and the cross, that we would recognize that one of the benefits, true gospel benefits of the cross, is that we now dwell in your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that... The things we think, pray, and process right now would not just be something that we do on our own, but that we genuinely do do in the power of your Spirit. Bless this time that we have at the table. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.